Welcome to Season 2 of Insurgency Unmasked. Join us as we explore the hidden stories and complexities of the Ukrainian conflict and listen in as we deconstruct the war in Ukraine step by step, expert by expert. Welcome to another episode of Insurgency Unmasked. Today we're joined by Michael Archer to talk about BOAC. So let's kick off today. Who are you and what do you do, Michael? Yeah, so firstly, um, I'm chief reporter for The Modern Insurgent. So yeah, I focused on reporting on different insurgent groups across the world, such as Hamas and other similar groups. Um, in July this year, I traveled to Belfast to film a documentary on the 12th of July celebrations in the Orange Order. And yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Um, this is sort of, this is my area of focus and my area of interest. And I've covered BOAC before in an article I wrote for Byline Times and also a video documentary I made with Antoine for the Modern Insurgents. So I have a bit of experience in their activities and speaking with some of their members. So yeah. Brilliant. So who are BOAC? Yeah, so basically BOAC stands for the Anarcho-Communist Combat Organization. And they're basically a group of far left anarchists that are primarily based in Russia and Belarus. And they're constantly engaged in sort of anti-war tactics in a bid to disrupt the Kremlin's war effort in Ukraine. So like their exact date of origin is kind of unclear, but they've gained significant prominence since the start of the Russian invasion last year. Um, and I guess in the context of sort of the broader Russia-Ukraine war, they represent a very real sector of both Russian and Belarusian society that not only opposes the invasion of Ukraine, but is also like actively attempting to disrupt this war effort. So their tactics include things like sabotaging government infrastructure and dismantling railways. And this is something that people sometimes tend to sort of overlook when discussing people living under the Kremlin. So it's, of course, like unfair and completely inaccurate to presume that the Russian people just all support this war and Boak's president presence is sort of indicative of this, I guess. Mm. But yeah, um, they're certainly one of the lesser known groups kind of active in the war at the minute. Why do you think that is? Um, I would say they're lesser known in the sense that um, generally, like when the media is reporting on the war, they want to hear the big names and sort of eye catching stories, that sort of thing. And BOAC tend to sort of operate on like a small scale basis and sort of operate with um, a guerrilla war style tactic. So they like they will um, they're structured in a sort of um, cell type structure where the people within their group, from what I can gather, don't actually interact to a great extent with other people. So this allows them to organize attacks across the country that might seem like on the surface as lone wolf attacks, but in reality are like part of a broader movement. So I guess sort of back to your question, I think that their activities are underreported partially because they are very, very paranoid about security and keep their operations and the publicity about their operations like to, to a really, really low degree. And they don't really report on it too much. They'll put up videos after they've carried out an attack, put out press statements and stuff in their telegram, but they aren't actively giving too much information away, if that makes sense. It's definitely there's definitely an intent to go hidden. Yeah, oh absolutely, a hundred percent. Like from my time speaking to them, 
uh, for the documentary that we did for the modern insurgent and the, the article that I wrote then. Um, they were very, very paranoid about security in terms of, you know, anytime I got in contact with them, they were happy to speak, but they were very, very careful about what they said and how they spread sort of messages to me when I was in contact with them. And it just came across as though, as is like probably like likely or rightly understandable, they're very, very um, paranoid about getting infiltrated, which would obviously completely disrupt their movement. So they keep contact to a minimum and really, really screen who they get in contact with to ensure that there's nothing sort of nefarious going on. And how do they kind of interact with the larger resistance, like the Ukrainian army and then kind of other Russian groups? You've got like the RVC and other examples like that. So I think it's quite difficult to assess how exactly they they interact with these groups due to the fact that they keep everything everything that they're active in and all of the all of the attacks that they carry out sort of to a minimum in the sense that they will go out and claim an attack after it's happened they don't overtly and openly claim any direct affiliation with other groups and organizations but as we found out a couple of months ago um, there's definitely active members in BOAC who are fighting alongside soldiers in the Ukrainian army, such as Dmitry Petrov, who is one of the founding members of BOAC. He was killed in and around Bakhmut a couple of months ago, and his position has sort of um, been taken over by other members in the group. I'm not sure exactly why, and I, I couldn't really share it even if I did know. But from being in contact with them and talking to them in and around the time that Dimitri died, it became clear that their structure is sort of, they won't have a set leader or someone at the top who can be targeted by the Kremlin or other people who might want to stop their group and their activities. And yeah, it's quite unclear, I guess, as to their activities within the Ukrainian army and other groups, but it is definitely entirely possible. And there is some evidence that they are directly engaged in combat. Let's focus on something we've definitely got more evidence for then. Let's let's talk about tactics and strategies. So we've 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 noted uh, train derailments and attacking train lines. Pretty good guerrilla warfare tactic, I think. What else have they they've been doing? For sure. So yeah, I guess firstly starting on um, their tactic of derailing railways. So they operate with and they carry out their attacks. Um, using a really, really like readily available tool on the internet known as Wikimapia. And that allows them to map out other railways and like supply lines and areas in which um, supplies will be delivered through. And then they can target them using sort of like, a, I don't know, handmade tools that you could find in a hardware shop to dismantle the railway. They'll typically sort of write their um, their group's name in Russian and the telegram code to join their telegram channel on the railway after they've carried out an attack. In terms of other forms of attacks, they put up tutorials on how to make Molotov cocktails and like other sort of smaller scale improvised explosive devices. And these are really, really basic in terms of all of the, all of the supplies that you need to make these tools or bombs, whatever, um, could be like easily found within like say someone's shed or like a hardware store, as I said, and yeah, they seem to be sort of focused on these methods of attacks. They have expressed in the past that they are willing to use firearms, 
But with an insurgency on this scale, obviously fighting against one of the largest militaries in the world and one of the, the most oppressive totalitarian regimes, they can't just engage in a full-scale like man-to-man war. So they've had to dis- resort to these sort of tactics, which have proved to be quite effective. It's certainly a great niche to fill in a in kind of insurgency against a bigger army. You need to have people doing these kind of jobs. Um, to what extent does Boak's involvement in the war kind of have geopolitical implications, such as like inspiring other groups around the world? So because Boak seemed to have spread like to bra- like kind of every corner of Russia, they can wage this guerrilla war that I was talking about against the Kremlin in loads of different geographical locations across the country and in Belarus in particular. So they, as I said, they follow the cell structure, which means that they're able to operate without, let's say, a set centralized headquarters that hasn't become apparent. That may be the case, but it, it appears as though they operate based on this structure and they have members and active fighters all across the country. So what this means is that when one attack is carried out in, let's say, Moscow or near Moscow, then the members could go and carry out another attack in Vladivostok that is not connected to the other one and the security forces, intelligence agencies, all of this sort of thing within the country are occupied in one area. So they're able to, I guess, cause geographical instability in all of these different areas that they're active in. And due to the fact that they're not concentrated into one set sort of area or region of focus, this means that they can damage, they can cause small scale damage in the sense of the wider war effort, but can cause significant disruption in multiple different locations across Russia um, with a series of attacks. And it doesn't necessarily need to be focused on one set location. The Modern Insurgent is completely independent. If you want to support our work and help boost independent journalism, please consider supporting us via Patreon at patreon.com slash moderninsurgent. Thank you very much. Are Boak the biggest left-wing or far-left group fighting in Ukraine at the moment, do you think? I would say, yeah. I mean, in terms of that, they have gotten the most prominence in on platforms like Telegram and Discord, Twitter, things like that. They seem to be a, the name that pops up the most um, when talking about these sorts of organizations. There are other similar organizations that were sort of there before them, such as the Black Bloc inside Russia. Um, but in terms of like their prominence and how well known they are, even though they are relatively unknown in terms of the degree to which they're reported widely on the war, and they would probably be one of the most prominent organizations, I would say. Um, what challenges do researchers and journalists like yourself face when trying to understand groups like this? So one of the main challenges is that like these sorts of groups and the members who operate within these groups are really, really difficult to contact. So for them to be successful from their point of view and meet their their goals and objectives, they really need to avoid being infiltrated under like any circumstances. So this means for researchers, analysts or journalists that the information that's available publicly online is quite limited in comparison to, let's say, some more prominent insurgencies across the world, like 
the YPG or Hamas, other similar insurgencies. So members of these groups could face like really severe punishment if they're caught. They could be tortured or executed. So they have to do everything in their power to sort of maintain security without compromising their efforts. So for researchers and analysts or anyone who's looking to learn more about these groups, I guess you sort of have to be really persistent and gain an element of trust with the members of these groups and emphasize that you are in a position to serve as a medium through which to spread information about these groups rather than being someone who's just going to um, use them or like use you know use them for clickbait or expose them etc cetera, etc cetera. you need to make it clear that you're trying to highlight their existence their activities and bring their I guess bring their broader movement um to like the world's eye if that makes sense what are some of their what are their most famous things of the war if you had to make like a highlight reel a clickbait highlight reel what 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 are their little highlight moments so far yeah so the biggest highlight moment so far would probably be in and around like early april this year near rostov on don there was a an fsb like a russian secret service sort of um secret police unit base um on the border that was targeted so it was reported or like covered as an incendiary attack so it's quite unclear as to what sort of um device they used but they they burnt down the entire building that was really really um really prominent on twitter it was reported widely that sort of thing i guess that if if i had to pick the most prominent act that they've taken out so far, that would probably be it. But there's loads of smaller scale attacks that they've had on things like government buildings, um, different Kremlin owned offices, railways being the biggest one. But yeah, I think that answers it. And uh, this, I think this is pure speculation. Um, mm -hmm. But how do you think the civilian population receives BOAC? So yeah, even though it's really difficult to say definitively, I would like to imagine that BOAC and other similar groups like this in these contexts provide civilians in these affected areas with a certain degree of hope due to the fact that even in one of the most brutal totalitarian regimes in the world where all dissent is oppressed, like at all costs, there are still people who are actively fighting against the government that's ruling over them. And I think that this could provide a certain degree of hope for the Russian people that they may not have had in a long time or the segment of Russian society, however large it is, that doesn't actually support the war effort. It may sort of embolden them to take part in this cause in BOAC's activities or else just show them that everyone inside the country is not rooting for this war and this is not a war that every single Russian wants or every Belarusian wants, I guess. The main thing is just that it shows the people that if you fight back against the oppressor, you may die in the process, but sometimes certain things are worth dying for in their eyes, which is what certain members of BOAC have said. So does that answer it? Yeah, perfect. Cool. Um, what can be learned from BOAC's role, do you think, in like the broader spectrum of the war? I guess in the broader spectrum of the war, like one of the most important things that I noticed and I like emphasizing when I'm talking to people about BOAC and their activities is that 
to launch a sort of effective insurgency movement like BOAC or other similar groups, you don't actually need like an endless supply of arms and ammunition to fight the oppressor. You just need to be highly organized, committed to your cause and willing to use sort of methods outside of the box to hurt the person you are fighting against or the, the movement you are fighting against in different ways that are sort of not traditional in terms of steering away of open combat on the streets and steering towards targeting buildings, targeting infrastructure, causing damage and disrupting the war effort without directly coming in contact with the military. So I guess what we could learn is that you do not need an endless supply of resources and money to disrupt even the most armed organizations in the world and armed states in the world and most powerful people in the world. You just need to be extremely determined as all of the members of this group seem to be um, organized as they all seem to be as well. And you need to be fully committed to the cause in the sense that you're willing to die for it. And as Dmitry Petrov proved, that is certainly the case. And members of BOAC, all of them, or the vast majority of them are fully, fully committed to this cause and they will die for it. So, yeah. Um, after this war comes to a conclusion, where do you mm -hmm. think the members of BOAC will turn? Turn in terms of where they'll where they'll end up, or what do you think they'll focus on the Russian government itself internally, like further on? Do you think that's the end goal? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from from talking to members of BOAC, they seem really, really determined in not only sort of ending their government's involvement in the war, but a complete upheaval of the totalitarian system that they're like fighting against. So they want um, a decentralized democratic society. And as anarcho-communists, they want free and open democracy, uh, the ability for people to share ideas freely, that sort of thing. So it seems from talking to them and judging from like discourse surrounding BOAC online that they are very much serious about absolutely like changing the political landscape in Russia and not just focusing on disrupting this war. It seems as though due to the way in which like they've planned for the past 10 years, all of their recent activities, especially during the war, it does seem as though they're looking at a bigger picture in the sense that they're not only focusing on this war and this war will not be the end of it. What role has Telegram played? And what role do you think it's going to play in the future? So Telegram has been like massively important in BOAC's activities and their ability to spread all of the attacks that they've carried out and evidence of the attacks they've carried out, methods of attacks that people could follow in the future. So yeah, for people who don't know, Telegram is an encrypted messaging app in which it is very difficult in comparison to other social media sites, like let's say Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to trace as to where exactly the messages are being sent from and who's sending them. And this makes this really, really popular for groups like this and uh, members of BOAC and other similar groups because they can set up Telegram channels, share any press updates, press updates in the sense that like their, uh, their view and commentary on ongoing events or recent attacks that have happened, recent updates in the war, they can share all this in a Telegram channel without disclosing the identity of any of the members involved. 
and they can also share other videos. As I was saying, they're like tutorials of how to make Molotov cocktails, how to make other similar like improvised explosive devices and sort of spread their message in a way. So like in theory, anyone all over the world could join Boax Telegram, learn about them, send it to other people and spread it around. And this may also be a way that they sort of receive funding in the future. It's quite unclear at the moment as to if there's anyone funding them. And I would like, I would be inclined to believe that there isn't significant funding coming from outside due to the sort of like rudimentary methods of attack that they follow. So I guess, yeah, um, in terms of recruiting people, I would say Telegram is hugely important and more importantly, spreading their message and making sure that other people around the world are aware and may also support the cause in terms of donating money or else joining the cause themselves. Anything else you want to add? Um, not really. Support the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash moderninsurgent. Go to moderninsurgent.org where you can view all of our articles, different reports, investigations, um, and you can also support our work through our Patreon, which helps us sort of keep the lights on and fund future documentaries. So, The Modern Insurgent is your impartial, independent and academic guide in deconstructing the world's conflicts and insurgencies through our unique documentaries, podcasts, reports and scholarly articles reporting on the underreported.